All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. We've got an awesome Friday morning show for you today. We start today with some of the mayhem we're seeing on the streets of Metro Vancouver. It was a wild Wednesday this week in the downtown east side. Four people in three separate stabbing incidents sent to hospital. Much of the violent action around Hastings and Maine, all part of nine separate incidents of violence in the neighborhood in a 24-hour period. Violent crime is up in the downtown east side and other neighborhoods of the city as well, including Strathcona. Meanwhile, elsewhere in Metro, a spasm of gun violence here in the last few days, shooting in Langley, Coquitlam, Surrey. Most disturbingly of all, innocent bystanders getting caught in the crossfire. All right, there are lots of concerns about this. Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart, though, continuing to reassure the public that the city is safe. Uh, not all residents agree with them. Have a listen to this report here from Global News reporter Andrea McPherson. I do feel safe walking around the streets of downtown Vancouver, and I'm around, I walk around all the time. Uh, I did have a, a very good conversation with Chief Adam Palmer yesterday, uh, and I have full confidence that the VPD are um, doing an excellent job here in the city. Between the graffiti, break-ins, vandalism and violent attacks, one Vancouver business owner who's been victimized himself calls that statement laughable. It's not safe, and the mayor should, and the city council should be working exceedingly hard. Uh, coming out in the media saying, hey, we're doing everything we can to support the police and uh, make citizens safe when they're walking down the street. And I haven't heard a peep out of them. Okay, let's discuss the latest now on this with my guest, Constable Tanya Visentine. She's the media relations officer with the Vancouver Police Department. And I'm very pleased to welcome her back to the show. Tanya, thank you for coming on today. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it a lot. Okay, let's start with the uh, the stabbings that we saw on Wednesday. So four people in hospital, three separate stabbing incidents in the downtown east side. I mean, is that just like a typical day at the office for for you guys, or or that's or is that unusual to have that much violence in one day in that in that neighborhood? So it's obviously very concerning. We know, you know, the downtown east side. This type of of crime to the downtown east side. It's n- it's nothing new. Uh, that has been going on for a while. But, you know, what happened the other day is very concerning because there's a lot we still don't know. Were these incidents targeted? Was it random? Will will there be retaliation? So this is why we're coming out um, pleading to the public. We need their help. If anybody has information, anybody saw this type of behavior um, yesterday or the day before, please contact police. Okay, let's talk about some of those incidents there. So the first one was very early in the morning, right at around Hastings and Maine. Is that correct? That's right. So um, it occurred early Wednesday morning around 4.30 um, when a 29-year-old man stumbled into a convenience store near Maine and Hastings. He was bleeding from a large uh, cut on his face. Uh, He was taken to hospital and no injuries there. Or no long, I shouldn't say no injuries, but no non-life-threatening injuries. Okay, then you had another one in the same, same area that afternoon, right? That's right. At around 1.30 in the same area, Maine and Hastings, we responded to a street fight. Uh, when our officers arrived, we saw one man uh, suffering from a wound to his face and another had head and stomach injuries. So again, we are looking for a, a particular suspect in that file. He's an Indigenous, about five foot eight. Um, he was wearing a grey and white hooded sweater, dark coloured pants and a baseball cap. Okay, the next one came in. I thought this was kind of unusual. Around six o'clock, East Cordova and Columbia, and a guy posts makes a post on social media that he was ble- bleeding from a stab wound. Is that how you guys found out about it? Yeah, that's right. Wow. So I guess a friend or a social media friend of this person saw this post. They called us. 
Um, we did a bit of investigation. He ended up already being at the hospital, so we showed up at the hospital um, to try to take a statement, and he is expected to survive, though. Okay, so are, these are all unsolved here at this point? That's right. So they're all very uh, early in the investigation. And again, we don't know the motives. No arrests have been made. So we need anybody uh, that has information to contact us. Okay. And like you said, I mean, this has been going on for a long time in that particular neighborhood. This is a poor neighborhood. There's a lot of homelessness, drug addiction, mental illness. So we've seen, we're seeing it a lot. It sounds like that was a particularly violent day, though. So those stabbings were part of like nine, right? Nine separate violent incidents in the neighborhood on, in one day. Yeah, so in that neighborhood, we uh, responded to nine other violent calls. Um, there's a, a slew of them here. In one case, um, somebody saw a man put a gun in his waistband, or what they believed to be a gun. Uh, another one, we saw uh, two women fighting, and one of the women used a pipe to strike the other woman. Um, another one was a robbery where a, a man pulled a large knife on someone and demanded money. So, again, this was a, a very violent week. Um, and uh, we again, we need anyone with information to call us. Okay, Tanya, let me ask you about the video that VPD released of that stranger attack on New Year's Eve in Vancouver, and a lot of people may have seen this disturbing video. So here you have a young woman walking down the street uh, during the day outside the Hotel Georgia. I mean, you couldn't get a more like public, well-lit place with tons of people around during the day. And can you just, just describe what happened to her there? Yeah, again, another very concerning and trouble incident. So in this case, we had a, a young woman. She was 22 years old. It was in the middle of the day on New Year's Eve day. She was walking along West Georgia Street, just minding her business. Uh, when out of nowhere, a man uh, comes at her, grabs her, pretty much lifts her off the ground, uh, pushes her to the ground, holds her down, and then I guess words were exchanged. That's unknown. Um, and he gets up and, and walks about his day. So we just uh, received video a few days ago, and we immediately made the decision to put it out, as um, particularly in that video, you see a, a, another witness or a person walking by, and we're also appealing to that person. So if that person is listening to your radio show right now, we, we need that person to call us to help us investigate this file. Okay, you got a pretty good video of this incident, and I'm just taking a look at it right now. Like a pretty a pretty clear picture of the guy. Like you can see the T-shirt he's wearing. He's wearing a pair of headphones. You can see the clothing he's wearing. Uh, yeah. You know. So is, has that been any help? Like this, you still haven't found this guy, though, right? That's right. We're still uh, investigating. We we actually started investigating right away on New Year's Eve um, when it happened. But I mean, we we need to uh, speak to this guy. We need anybody to come forward. We need to know what the full circumstances were. Uh, at this point, we don't know what the motive was. Was it racially motivated? Was it meant the mental health a factor? Was drug use a factor? We we just don't know. And and that's what kind of makes this whole thing very concerning. Yeah, speaking to Constable Tanya Visentine, she's a spokesperson for the Vancouver Police Department. And you mentioned, was this a hate crime? Was this racially motivated? The young woman who was attacked here is an Asian woman. Um, you said words were exchanged. Like, did the guy say anything that indicated it was like a hate crime? Again, we, we don't know. We don't know uh, too much. The interaction was very brief. Uh, but we are still working with our victim. But again, we are limited in, in the information that we have. So we need to find this guy. We need to find out more. And we, uh, we're asking anyone with information to call us. Okay. Outside of your immediate jurisdiction in Vancouver and uh, elsewhere in Metro Vancouver, we have seen uh, gunplay and shooting incidents in the past few days, including tragically some innocent bystanders getting hit with bullets. Happily, no one killed. But talk about traumatic to get injured in the crossfire in some of these attacks. 
And I, I know that's not, this is RCMP files largely, but can you comment generally on the danger to the public here with some of the stuff that's going on? Yeah, you're right in the sense I can't um, get into too much detail as it's not our jurisdiction, it's not our file. But yeah, definitely hearing um, that situation evolve, very concerning. You know, anytime there is um, gunshots exchanged, anybody um, that there's a stabbing going on, it's really difficult to say, oh, there's no risk to the public because anytime you have this type of behavior, this type of reckless behavior, any person walking by, any random citizen could get injured. And and that's very concerning. Yeah, I mean, often we hear... You know, police say the public should not be worried in some of these targeted hits because these are soldiers going after soldiers in some drug war or whatever. But here we see examples of people who do get caught in the crossfire. And then you go back to this ridiculous incident of this woman being attacked outside the Hotel Georgia in the middle of the day. You know, I, I mean, this random stranger attack, no rhyme or reason to it. Those type of cases are up, like stranger attacks are up, correct? Yeah, so we came up with that stat last year, late last yeah. year. Um, we we were hearing anecdotally in the community that people were feeling unsafe. We were hearing it from people that would call into shows like yours or from business owners that would go to media on their own. We were We were hearing it. Uh, loud and clear. And so we had our analysts do something very unique. It was a deep dive into each of these assaults. So files that we code as assault between September 2020 and September 2021. And each file was read manually. And from there, we were able to uh, find out which assaults were random, unprovoked, no relation between the victim and the suspect. And uh, yeah, on average, we came up with the number four a day. So uh, that wow. we've never done uh, something like that before. So it's hard to say if that's um, normal or not. But I don't know what you think, Mike. But four a day is is a bit much, and uh, we still have a lot of work to do here. I think I think any random assault totally by by a stranger is unacceptable and bizarre. Totally. And to have four a day in the city, I, I think, is outrageous. Constable Visentine, thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Okay, Tanya Visentine there. She is the spokesperson for the Vancouver Police Department. Busy week for them. Elsewhere in Metro Vancouver, had a spasm of gun violence here in the last few days, including innocent bystanders being injured. Police sounding the warning on that yesterday. Have a listen to this report here from Global News reporter Kamal Karamali. You're going to hear the voice here of RCMP Chief Superintendent Galib Bayani. Have a listen. A violent month across the Lower Mainland, shooting after shooting. Two weeks ago, a targeted attack killing an 18-year-old in Langley. Then a week later, a shooting outside a Coquitlam pub. And on Wednesday, bullets flew at a Surrey warming center. One thing they all have in common, innocent bystanders were injured. We're here to address the recent shootings that have left four innocent bystanders Injured Thursday, RCMP tried to quell concerns of increasing gun violence. These acts of violence impact the public sense of safety and well-being. Now the Global Sky Tracker weather. Cloudy with a 60% chance of drizzle today. Highs to 8 degrees. Cloudy tonight, lows to plus 4. Clouds tomorrow morning, a mix of sun and cloud tomorrow afternoon, and highs to 7. In Squamish, it's 3 and cloudy. Outside CKNW Pacific Center, downtown Vancouver, it's 7 degrees. Now the CKNW Business News. The Dow New York is down 224 points. TSX in Toronto is down 391. The Canadian dollar is down 30 basis points, 3 tenths of a penny, 79.66 U.S. I'm Gord McDonald. Don't do the crime.
Welcome back to the show now. Let's talk about crime on the streets of Vancouver now. Got a street-level view of policing now with a veteran cop, Rob Rothwell. Rob is a retired Vancouver police officer, and he did it all during a long career with the VPD. Police cadet, beat cop, drug squad detective, bike patrol, undercover officer, internal affairs and a senior commanding officer in the VPD, superintendent in charge of the Homicide Division, organized crime and terrorism. He tells his story in a brand new book that I recommend to you. It's called 33 Years, The Unfiltered Memoir of a Cop. And I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Rob, thanks a lot for coming on today. Hey, thank you, Mike. I'm glad to be here. Okay, Rob, congratulations on the book. I've been reading it this week, and, and I think it's great. It's a really exciting read, a really easy read, too, and I recommend it to the listeners. Let's start at the beginning here. Rob, where, where did you grow up, and did, did you want to be a police officer when you were a kid? Well, it's kind of bizarre. I grew up in uh, East Vancouver, not uh, far from the P&E, and honestly, policing was probably about the furthest thing from my mind as I was growing up and, and probably running from the cops more often than running to them. But um, my older brother's friend um, became a member of the RCMP, and one night he said, hey, why don't you come out for a ride-along with me? And I was uh, 18 at the time and undecided about my future, so I thought, well, nothing to lose there. This could be kind of exciting. So um, I drove my beat-up old car that I had at that time out to Surrey, and I met him at an intersection, this darkened intersection in a rural part of Surrey, because I think this was a very unofficial ride-along. And I climbed into his cruiser, and off we went. And it was no more than about 20 seconds before we got a call of a break-in occurring at uh, a drugstore at one of these strip malls uh, in Surrey. And at that time, um, the crooks and the drug addicts were really after all of the uh, cough medicines and things like that uh, to replace their, the, the lack of heroin with the codeine and uh, the medications. And so we roared into this parking lot, and uh, I'll use his name, Larry. Larry jumped out of the car, and he yelled at me to stay there, and he ran in through the smashed door. And about 20 seconds later, he came out, and he's got his gun in his hand, he's got one crook with him, and he threw this guy up against the car and said to me, hold him. And I thought, whoa, what? Want me to hold him? This is crazy. Anyway, fortunately, the crook uh, must have thought I was a cop or something. He didn't really resist, and Larry ran in. Came out a short time later with the second guy, and uh, I mean, it was such a dynamic event and uh, such an eye-opener for me, and I thought, wow, you can actually do this uh, for a living. Uh, <laughs> this would be a um, you know, pretty darn exciting way to go, and he highly recommended it, and we had uh, some good laughs and a bit of time. And of course, after that one big call, Larry was going to be tied up for hours, the rest of the shift basically with paperwork and that kind of thing. So, you know, that ride along ended a bit early, but it was such a dynamic experience. I thought, you know, I, I've got to go for this. And um, so headed off to college uh, and worked my way through uh, some programs and uh, was lucky enough to be hired by the Vancouver Police Department when I was 20 years old, which, you know, looking back, you wonder just about the logic of doing that, of taking a 20-year-old and strapping a gun on them and sending them out uh, onto the street to police. But but really, that was um, kind of the era when the, I think the concept was hire them young, break them down and build them into uh, the officer that you're looking for. And uh, in fact, there were two 19-year-olds in my class, one of whom ended up being the chief of the Vancouver Police Department, Jim Chu. 
Okay, so the story you just told there is typical of what you read in your book because the book is just sort of jam-packed of these kind of street-level view of what your job was like, uh, unvarnished, unfiltered, as you say in the title. And, you know, you, you tell some pretty wild stories there. So let me ask you about a couple of those. Like, there's some pretty hair-raising stuff that you describe in the book, some some really dangerous confrontations with with criminals, um, in, in cases where you had to draw your, your firearm, like how many times did you draw your gun during your career as a police officer? Uh, you know, there are certain assignments where you end up drawing it a, a lot more frequently than others. And I would say that during the d- drug squad, I was probably drawing it almost uh, every shift for one reason or another, because we were dealing with a lot of uh, fairly high level drug traffickers and a lot of whom were armed. And so, you know, you have those intense assignments where there is more likelihood of uh, encountering violence and and a risk to your life compared to, say, lower level assignments. Uh, Like when I was in school liaison for three years, I never really had to draw my pistol in the school, fortunately, although, you know, that dynamic is changing as well with uh, school related violence and uh, active shooters and things like that, although not so much in Canada. But I mean, that risk always exists. Yeah. Did you ever fire your gun as a police officer? Not at anybody, no. Uh, You know, lots of training with a firearm, and police officers in British Columbia are required to be certified uh, with the use of their firearms, so there's annual testing for that, which is always, you know, a bit heart-pounding. Make sure you get through it, because if you don't, the consequences are you'd lose your firearm, and ultimately, you know, uh, down the road, I guess you could lose your job as well, because you wouldn't be deployable. So um, they take firearms training and certification very, very seriously in British Columbia. Yeah, and I'm sure you're you're quite relieved that you never had to sort of fire fire a, a shot in anger there uh, during your career. But I I know that you know other officers have been in that position. I'm just looking at one one sequence in in your book, Robert. You say sh- shooting and killing another person is the last thing a cop wants to do. Um, that, that's have you ever like had a partner or anyone else you worked with? Who, I mean, that's got to be traumatic. Yeah, no, you know what, getting involved in a gunfight and actually shooting and killing somebody, even though you know that you have to do it in order to preserve your life or the life of a member of the public, you can rationalize it in your mind. But still, I think the trauma is really severe and uh, and it can affect people, obviously, for the rest of their life. So it was not something I ever wanted to do. And, and uh, you know, and I think all police officers look for alternatives to using a firearm. And there are more of those now in the way of um, a taser and OC spray, which is, you know, a pepper spray and things like um, beanbag uh, shotguns and, uh, and so forth. Yeah. So there are these uh, mid-range alternatives, but they didn't really exist back, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Speaking of Rob Rothwell, former Vancouver Police Department superintendent, his new book is 33 Years, The Unfiltered Memoir of a Cop. I, I once heard it say it's a car- cardinal rule of police officer, never lose your gun. And uh, what about this? Did you have to, went down to a, some rough and tumble nightclub one night and your, your gun got unholstered and skittered across the floor or something? What yeah, happened? exactly. What so, happened you know, every officer knows that... Uh, the firearm strapped to your your waist it could be uh, something to save you. It's also something that could kill you if it got into the wrong hands. And so you always protect your firearm. And that's why, you know, police officers never want to get knocked out or become unconscious because you lose control of your weapon. But in this particular case, it was outside of a nightclub that was quite rough and rowdy at the time. And my partner and I were in plain clothes. And uh, there was a fight going on in the lineup because some people were trying to barge their way in. 
And uh, during the struggle, I, I tried to sort of flip this guy over my hip in order to get him down onto the ground. And as he went over, his body or his belt or something snagged my firearm, which at the time was really in uh, uh, an ineffective plainclothes holster uh, back then. They, they really didn't secure the firearm that well. And as a result, it flipped the firearm out. The gun came out of my holster and it went down, hit the uh, tiled uh, pavement where all the uh, people were standing in line. And actually, I can just remember it hitting like a pancake and skittling along over the tiled surface at the feet of all these people standing in line. And it was quite funny, actually, because the people in line were all dancing around trying to avoid this skidding gun that's coming down at them. And uh, so, you know, my panic was, I've got to get that firearm. And I threw this guy and just dove to get the firearm back under control. And it was such a shocking event, actually, that it actually changed the dynamic of the fight and everybody stopped fighting. We managed to get these two guys in custody. But it was very, you know, from a policing perspective, it's terrifying to see your firearm leave your body and go flying toward somebody else. Yeah, I, I bet. Wow. Yeah, that would have been a bit hairy. But just another day at the office there for Rob Rothwell. Here's what I want to do, Rob. We'll take a quick break here right now, and then we'll come back with more. My guest, Rob Rothwell, he's a former superintendent with the Vancouver Police Department. His new book is 33 Years, The Unfiltered Memoir of a Cop. We'll talk to him more after this. This is Mike Smith. Stick around. Welcome back to the show. My guest is Rob Rothwell, retired superintendent of Vancouver Police Department. His new book is 33 Years, The Unfiltered Memoir of a Cop. Hey, Rob, let me ask you about some of the other high-profile cases you were involved with uh, during your career that you wrote about in the book. And at one point, you were in internal affairs at Vancouver Police Department, and you had to, you were part of the investigation into a case, a lot of listeners will remember known as the Stanley Park Six, as they came to be known, whereas where um, uh, police picked up some uh, alleged drug dealers, took them down to Stanley Park and beat them up, right? Um, yeah, those are the basic facts. Yeah. yeah, what was it like investigating that case? So it was, uh, it was really difficult, actually, um, you know, I received a phone call in the morning from Tom Stamatakis that uh, was the or still or was uh, at that time the president of the Vancouver Police Union and he said to me Rob are you sitting down I'm like oh, this is not good and uh, fortunately I was sitting down and he went on to tell me that this these allegations had arisen uh, through another police officer frankly and uh, obviously they needed immediate investigation and uh, so I met with uh, chief constable Graham and talked about it and told him that I'd formulate a plan for this. And the first thing to do, actually, was, uh, regrettably, to meet uh, the six uh, accused officers on their way into their shift uh, that same day in the afternoon and relieve them of duty, uh, suspend them administratively, and let them uh, make them aware of the investigation, and then really establish an investigative team that would uh, conduct a very thorough investigation, um, speaking to the witnesses, victims, police, and anybody else that uh, could shed uh, or provide uh, evidence around the file. And as a result, uh, you know, there were criminal charges that flowed through. There were police act charges. Um, in the end, there were dismissals. But there were also, and this is, uh, I think, you know, almost the... Um, the just just opposing side of this is that uh, for the police officers that were accused uh, were uh, retained as employees as police officers by uh, Chief Jamie Graham, 
And, uh, and I'm really proud to say that uh, their careers have been absolutely exemplary and uh, they really have been super well contributing members of the organization and they have served the public uh, in a very professional and fabulous manner. So, you know, really at the end of the day, it was the right thing to do. The two, uh, you know, uh, instigators were fired and uh, the other four were dealt with very harshly. I mean, they did receive harsh uh, suspensions and convictions and so forth, but at the end of the day, it, it worked out really well, I think, both for the public and for the police department. Yeah, you describe it in a lot of detail in the book as part of your role in, in internal affairs there. What was that like, the, the years that you were in internal affairs, and suddenly you're, you know, you're shoulder to shoulder with these other police officers, and then what? You're potentially investigating them, right? Well, not potentially. You are. So. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, um, I think all police officers recognize that that's an important part of, uh, of policing is, is accountability and uh and when there is a complaint, uh, obviously it has to be properly investigated uh, for the, you know, the integrity of the organization and for the integrity of the police officer, him or herself. So if I had a complaint lodged against me, I certainly would want it properly investigated so that hopefully the outcome would be that my actions were justified and reasonable and proportionate within the context. And uh, so, you know, it's not as adversarial as you might think. Um, I, I guess there are occasions where it can be. Uh, but overall, uh, you know, people understand that there is a job to do as an investigator and uh, that there are no shortcuts to be taken. Yeah. And there are many levels of oversight as well to ensure that, uh, that it's a thorough and fair and objective investigation. As you know, there's the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner, um, the Office of Independent uh, Investigations, and, uh, and even the Vancouver Police Board. So there are many levels of scrutiny uh, over these matters. Speaking of Rob Rothwell, retired superintendent, VPD, his, about his new book as a police officer in, in Vancouver. You've done uh, so many different jobs uh, during that long career with the Vancouver Police Department, inc including, as you mentioned, a school liaison officer, which we've talked a lot about here on the show over the last year or so, after we've seen some school boards move to shut those programs down, notably the Vancouver School Board voting to cancel a police liaison program. What do you think of that decision to shut these programs down? Like, do you, What was the value of, a, of being a school liaison officer yourself? Well, I think it's really regrettable, uh, and uh, and I understand the motivation. You know that there may have been students that um, felt uh, threatened somehow by the presence of a police officer in the school. And to me, that just means that we need to work harder with those students to overcome that kind of fear, um, because everybody should feel comfortable around the police. And the role of the school liaison officer isn't one of enforcement. It's it's one of connecting with the young people and being there for them. And as a school liaison officer, you know, I have students come to me with very serious uh, concerns uh, and in cases where they are victimized but would not tell anybody else or go forward or tell their parents or, you know, even tell their school counselor. So there was a really important role to be there for the students, but not to be sort of portrayed as the school's cop or as the enforcement arm of uh, the school's administration. That could all be done by patrol officers out in the district. My role in the school was to work with the kids to, you know, spend time with them to answer the questions, to do some teaching in the class as well around, uh, you know, around policing and law and, uh, and even uh, with younger students around um, street safety and community safety. So I think there is a very important role to play for police officers in the school. And, and you know, where there is a case of fear, those are the students we need okay. to reach out to and connect with. Hey, Rob, we just got, sadly, we just got one minute left here. Let me ask you about, uh, there's a lot of talk these days about 
a movement to defund the police. I mean, I spoke to a researcher on the show just this week about rising violent crime in some neighborhoods in Vancouver, notably the downtown east side. And his argument was the answer was to cut funding for the police and spend more money on social services to help people who are drug addicted or mentally ill on the street. What do you think of that defund the police movement in the one minute we got left here? Um, listen, I think we could defund the police after we deal with mental illness and bring down the call load on the police. Because right now, any given evening, there could be up to 70 or more calls holding. These are urgent calls for the police. So I don't know how you defund the police and still manage a 70-call holding uh, list every night. So after you've dealt with, and I call it the trifecta effect in the book, you know, homelessness, addiction, and mental illness, after you've dealt with those adequately to reduce the call load on the police, then absolutely 100% defund the police accordingly. But, you know, you're putting the cart before the horse if you're trying to defund the police beforehand. Rob, we've only scratched the surface of all the stories in your book. I recommend it to the listeners. Congratulations on it, and thanks for coming on today. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Rob Rothwell there, uh, Vancouver Police Superintendent, retired. Uh, I think that guy probably did about every job there is to do at VPD over 33 years. His book is 33 Years, The Unfiltered Memoir of a Cop. A very exciting read. I recommend it to you. Check it out. All right. Let's talk pest control now. Do you have pests around your house? Yeah, creepy crawlies, ants, bugs. Stuff crawling through your backyard in your home. That's the worst, man. How do you deal with it? Well, you probably call my next guest, Mike Laundry, owner of Westside Pest Control. This guy is the man, and we're going to open up the phone lines here. So get set to call me if you have pest control questions. Uh, the ad, we got ads for Westside Pest Control running the show. I actually really like the ads. I think they're really fun to listen to. Here's one of them on uh, one of the ads that runs. Have a listen to this. Coming soon. One of the Earth's most ancient creatures, spawning in the dank, dark spaces of our world for over 400 million years. Infiltrating homes, laying eggs by the thousands, and by the time you see one, it's already too late. Silverfish. Protect your property with Westside Pest Control. Okay, let's check in with Mike Laundry now, owner of Westside Pest Control. Hey, Mike. Hey, how you doing? Mike, we're not going to charge you for that ad, okay? That's a freebie. <laughs> Sweet. Thanks, okay. Mike. So listen, the silverfish thing is uh, interesting to me because I have them in my place and uh, in my basement, and they're really gross. I don't like them at all. Uh, they're real creepy-looking things. They're very fast when you try to squish them, too. I mean, you can sneak up on them, but uh, once they know you're there, they start moving really quickly. And I thought it was always interesting in that ad that we just played that you referred to them as like this ancient species or something and they do look kind of ancient in a way like is that true like they've been around a long time these things they they have literally been around for hundreds of millions of years and they're not going anywhere and they really haven't changed or evolved much in that time either so um yeah they're well adapted to many environments on this on this planet um and their and their favorite is is humid environment yeah. uh, areas with lots of moisture and of course we live here in a temperate rainforest um which uh, is well suited to them okay so you mentioned in the ad there that once you see one it's it's almost like too late to get rid of them but you can get rid of them i assume though yeah um yeah. we can we can certainly improve the situation i tell most people the realistic expectation is normally somewhere between 
90 and 95 percent. Now, the one nice thing about that is um, it's not like three days later or three weeks later, or even three months later, you're going to see the same resurgence of them again because these insects actually live for years and they take several months before they can even start producing more silverfish. So knock the population down and it takes them years to build those numbers back up again. Okay, Mike, we're in the sum, uh, the winter months here right now, and I'm, I suspect you're probably busier in the warmer months than you are in the winter, or, or do you get calls in the winter too? It's year-round. There's always yeah. pests. There's always people with them. Uh, winter months, it's, it's, it's rodents, um, predominantly oh, yeah. uh, mice and rats, uh, looking for a nice, cozy place to reside inside, uh, inside a home or, uh, or other type of structure. Okay, what's the situation with the sort of rodentia levels right now in Metro Vancouver? Like, Vancouver has won the award uh, almost every year, undefeated record, rattiest city in British Columbia, lots of rats in Vancouver. Is that your experience? We are never relinquishing that title. I'm yeah. quite certain of it, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, in, the, in the winter, so what's the deal in the winter? They're looking to get in your house to stay warm? They are, but they're still, but they're still venturing out. Uh, rats don't come into people's houses to start sharing food with them in their kitchen. Mice do that, but uh, rats don't cohabitate with people. So uh, this is one of the reasons they do so well in, in Vancouver is because we have a much more mild climate than other parts of Canada. Uh, the rats will live in your walls or in your attic or in your crawl space, but then venture out during the day to find sustenance um, Whereas in somewhere like uh, Winnipeg, they're just hunkering down and hoping to survive. Okay, what, uh, when you deal with a, a rat or mouse problem, what is sort of job one when you go into a home to deal with that? How do you get rid of them? Job one is always trying to find how they're getting in and out of the structure that they're, that they're in. Personally, that's one of rats are my most enjoyable service to do. I, I really love the challenge. Um, first thing, first thing that I do when I get to the sidewalk in front of the house is try and guess what's happening before I've even started and, um, uh, ask, always ask the person living in the house tons and tons of questions because they're up at night hearing the noises and hearing the scratching. Um, and, uh, the people in the structure always know a lot about what's happening in their, in their home, what time of day you're hearing noise. I mean, time of day that you're hearing noise can indicate whether it's rats or squirrels, the, the type of scratching, the intensity and, and volume of it can help us determine whether it's mice, rats, squirrels, raccoons, etc. Yeah, I had uh, we ha- I saw a mouse in my house once and a guy came by to deal with it for me and he put out these little kind of um, like a feeding station sort of hidden in corners of the home. And I said, what, what is that, poison or something? And he said, no, it's not poison. What it does is it makes the rat... Uh, thirsty, and th- that makes it go out of the house to drink. You ever heard of that tactic? Uh, well, that would, in fact, be poison. Um, oh, oh. <laughs> uh, okay. that, that would be a, a, a rodenticide. Um, uh, so rodenticides are, are anticoagulants, um, which will tend to make um, anything that consumes them thirsty. Um, with that, that in mind, though, the, the, the myth that rodenticide will simply make a, a rodent leave your house is totally untrue. The oh. same as any animal when it doesn't feel well. I mean, just think of us. When we don't feel well, 
we don't generally go want to go outside. We just want to hunker down in our bed and 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 have a snooze. And uh, and if your home happens to be in the attic or walls of someone's house, yeah, that's where they're going to go reside, oh. and, and you're going to be dealing with a worse problem, um, which is a deceased rodent in the walls of your house. So uh, using rodenticide inside of homes, uh, you, you'd certainly want to use some caution um, uh, before just throwing it out so what, here, well, here what do you, there. So what do you prefer to trap them and remove them or what? Yeah, we, we, again, our focus is always on trying to find out how they're getting in and out of the house. I yeah. mean, if you have rats living in a wall, we do a full inspection from the top of the roof down to the foundation, seal up every potential access point, and, and then if we find the main one on the outside of the house where they're coming and going, we install a one-way access door so the rodent can exit the house but can't re-enter again. Oh. Um, and and uh, and then it's somebody else's issue. All right, welcome back. Mike Laundry is my guest, owner of Westside Pest Control. Phone lines are open to him, 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898, toll-free on your cell. Let's go right to your calls here. Cheryl in Richmond. Hey, Cheryl. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So I have an issue with a rat. He got into my tin shed. I had some um, grass seed in there from the last year. And I should have put it in a glass container. I didn't. I went to put the snow shovels away. And there's grass seed, rat poop, and rat urine everywhere through my camping stuff, my bike, everything. So I preliminarily cleaned up the grass seed, um, picked up as much rat poop as I could. And now I'm concerned about my health. Like I wore an N95 because I had one. (laughs) And I went in there and I did my best to do a preliminary clean. I'm worried about my health. Like, does the disease that's associated with the poop and the urine, do I have to worry about that when I finish going in and tidying up? And do I have to, how do I deal with the rat poop and the urine to disinfect okay. things, that, items that they're on and so forth properly? Okay, this is a really good question, I think. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, health and safety is one of the main reasons why... Uh, pest control companies exist and why why the general public has concern for for pests in the in the first place um, anytime you're doing a cleanup you definitely um i mean we we all have masks these days so uh, i would wear the best uh, the the best mask that you have while you're doing the cleanup definitely wear some disposable gloves um one of the key things to focus on anytime you're cleaning up rodent droppings or bird droppings or anything like that is, is just not to disturb the, the, uh, the, the particles. You're getting a lot of dust in the air. So um, try to use a HEPA filtered vacuum for any of those droppings. And then, uh, and then just use a, use a spray bottle with, with a, bit of, a bit of bleach and, and, and water when cleaning those surfaces. Again, wear gloves and then um, you know, uh, wash your 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 arms and and whatnot after the after the cleanup. As long as you're being safe, um, you you should be fine. We typically use full Tyvek suits and boot covers and and thick gloves um, and a and a half mask respirator when we're doing a cleanup like that. Um, but the important thing to remember is just not to use a, a broom or dustpan and really disturb those those uh, the the, the the area um, so that you get dust in the air. Yeah, right. Th- thanks for the call, Cheryl. Let's go to Scott on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Scott. Go ahead. Hi, Mike. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Go ahead. Good. 
So this question's a little bit convoluted, um, but I'm, I'm concerned. And one of the industries that I'm working in currently is down working at the grain elevators and other places that do have large rodent populations. And it's very hard to control them. And of course, live trapping them isn't really feasible. So they use a lot of rodenticide in there, but I'm really concerned about it getting back into the environment higher up in the food chain with raptors and anything else that might be taking these animals in as a food source. And yeah. it, I want to know, are there products that are being developed that are safe but still effective? Mike? Uh, it's a very it's a very fine, uh, very fine tightrope that we, that we walk in terms of the, the rodenticides. There was actually... Um, a big change that came into effect at the end of July in 2021 um, in that most, most facilities, most commercial facilities, homes, etc., um, we are no longer allowed to service them, able to service them with second-generation anticoagulants. So this means they're essentially the, the stronger, more recently developed rodenticides. Um, there's lots of positive around this change, uh, but there are exemptions, government facilities, food production, grain elevators would be in- included in those that at this point are still allowed those second gener- generation anticoagulants. Um, a lot of the ones that are used are actually developed not to have an effect on secondary poisonings. Um, mm. And uh, it's unfortunate that there's a, a lot of the products that, that, that are used are used incorrectly, and that's usually where the issues come in it's not so much the products but how they're how they're applied um there are some new uh there's some new technology um that's being utilized but it's very expensive they're uh um uh traps that use co2 um wow. but they require a lot of maintenance and there's a and there's a high cost to them the long and short of it is uh with those green elevators you um it's a it's going to be a, a, a constant battle um trapping stations are probably the best alternative to rodenticide you're just going to need more of them and uh and a lot of regular maintenance okay, okay. scott thank you for that call rick in port moody go ahead rick Hi, gentlemen thanks for taking my call sure. beavers how in the hell do you safely trap out beavers you got a beaver problem, man? Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Port Moody has been plagued with beavers now for four or five years. They, we've got, uh, you know, a very core group of people that want to leave them alone, and they've destroyed some salmon streams. They just make a hell of a mess. Now they've moved into an area, that, and you know, we've, had, we've got road flooding and stuff because of them, or trail flooding and stuff. The city is spending thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of dollars to try and wrap wire around all these trees um, because of a few um, people that want to keep the beaver. So they're, you know, they're making the environment so it's not beaver friendly, but they don't want to get rid of the beaver. So okay. Okay, How Mike, would you try, so you, you don't hurt the thing, but you can relocate it. What's the, what's the plan? Mike. I wish I could give you an, an answer to this question. Unfortunately, beavers are outside our, our wheelhouse of services that we provide. Um, uh, but I would, you know, I, I'm, I assume you've already done this, but the first thing I would do is contact your, uh, uh, your local conservation officer. There are a couple of companies um i think humane solutions is a is a company that does uh that, that, that does do some um 
wildlife trapping, uh, I would maybe maybe give them a buzz and uh, and see if they can provide you some more info. Okay, thank, thanks for that. Good luck with that one. Let's squeeze in one more here before the break, and then we'll take some more calls. Uh, Corrine in Cloverdale. Hi, Corrine. Go ahead. Yes, hi. I was um, inquiring about moles in the backyard and front yard. Moles in the yard. We got you got 30 seconds here, Mike. Go ahead. Oh, moles are the absolute worst. Um, I have them. I have them at my place, and I tried to uh, to learn how to get rid of moles many years ago. It is it is a complete art form. Um, uh, there is a company called ARG Mole Removal, and moles is all that this guy does. His name is also Mike, and uh, he really knows his stuff. So if you need help getting rid of moles, that would be my recommendation okay, to contact them. He knows his moles. Why are they so difficult to get rid of here? Because they never, because they never surface. They're always, oh. they're always below the ground, and it's, and when you see a mound, they've already moved somewhere else. Okay, Mike, stand by here as we take a break. There's always lots of calls for Mike Laundry, Westside Pest Control. Today is no exception. If you're still on the line, hang in there. We'll get to you. Keep phoning me. 604-280-9898 is the number. Roll with my guest, Mike Laundry, owner of Westside Pest Control. Mike is always super popular guest on the open line. If you have a question about pest control around your home, now is the time to call 604 280 9898 is the number 604 280 star 9898 toll free in your cell back to the phone lines pat on the line hi pat go ahead hello gentlemen hi. i i have a question regarding uh beetles uh, specifically ones that are called i think they call them stink bugs they might be called something else uh, we seem to get uh get them into our home certain times of the year and right now we have a bunch of them they they out, they fly around and crawl around, and they're quite uh, creepy. Stink bug? What do they smell bad? Apparently, if you crush them, they do. They don't smell. Oh. If you don't crush them, this is what I've read. But maybe Mike knows more wow, about. Wow, creepy, Mike! You heard of this? Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. If you do crush them, they do. They do kind of smell like rotten eggs. Uh, oh. So, so try to try to avoid doing that. Um, gently, gently. Uh, encourage them outside instead of squashing them um yeah stink bugs have been uh, around this area for the last few years they they started turning up about 10 to 15 years ago in the interior first and they've uh, they slowly made their way out to the west coast they really love foliage um and uh and they love to overwinter in structures uh so they generally spend most of their time outside in the spring and summer but they will overwinter in in people's homes uh so one of the things you can do to discourage them from doing this is to keep foliage in close contact with the house cut back about one to two feet um in terms of elimination it it can be quite tricky because they'll literally reside inside the walls of your house and they they don't have massive nests like carpenter ants or really leave a lot of sign of them being there um uh, so I would uh, use a lot of vigilance in terms of trying to f- figure out where they might be coming from um, and uh, maybe leave out a few a few glue uh, sticky traps you can purchase from the hardware store um, in a few different rooms of the house, and then you might start to narrow it down. Okay, Pat, good luck with that, man. That sounds like a ba- stink bugs. Yeah, that's a new one for me. I hadn't heard of those ones before. Let's go to Les on the open line. Hi, Les, go ahead. 
Good morning. Uh, just a quick story and a question. My wife had a uh, wrap on the inside of her SUV by the wheel well, and it deceased there, and it was taken out professionally, and we did a shampoo, uh, but it, the, the smell was unbelievable. Is there anything for an odor uh, that you could put in there? Eventually, it's going to go away. And my second uh, question is, my cousin on the farm puts uh, briquettes on the floor of his uh, semis. Is that a way to keep rodents away from your vehicle? He put he puts what on the floor? Did you say bri- uh, your old briquettes that you used to for like for a hibachi, the charcoal? Charcoal uh, briquettes. Okay. You, you put a couple of them on the floor mats and just leave them there. Is that okay. a viable solution, Mike? I, I've never heard of the bri- briquettes before. I'd be very, I'd be very curious to find out if uh, if that is a solution or not. I hear interesting remedies from from customers on a regular basis, uh, so I wouldn't discredit it, but I wouldn't necessarily endorse the briquettes either. Um, when it comes to the the rat um, in the in the car, uh, yeah, having it shampooed is is awesome. Uh, if there's a persistent smell there, there are some some products what you want to try and do is find a find an odor neutralizing product we use something called ona um, that helps to to neutralize the odor as opposed to just mask it um, you, you probably have to do a couple more scrub and rinse type of applications to really eliminate the smell uh, the other thing that you want to remember to uh, to do also is to move the car if the car is parked in the same location those rats are going to come back and potentially re-inhabit it again. So uh, for at least a few weeks after shampooing the engine, park about a block away, let them become acclimatized to, uh, uh, to nesting under somebody else's wheel well instead. Okay, good luck, good luck with that one. Uh, Les, thanks for the call. Keep phoning. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell. Peter on the line. Hi, Peter, go ahead. Yeah, good morning. Uh, Mike, um, I've got a mouse uh, uh, and a, a potentially a rat problem in the basement of the house. I've uh, tried sticky mats. I've tried the regular traps, baited. Peanut butter no longer seems to be on their diet. Um, and I've also tried uh, high-frequency uh, noisemakers. Nothing apparently is working. Um, suggestions, please. Sure. Okay. First thing I would do is say to turn the high frequency noisemakers, the ultrasonic devices off. Um, once they've established them themselves, that's not going to make them go away, but it's going to just, it's going di- to disrupt all of their activities and all of their habits. And they're going to be on, on, on high alert, therefore less likely to go for a trap, which they would otherwise do if, you know, life was just kind of rolling along as, as usual. Um, Definitely try some different baits. A lot of them like sweet substances. Uh, uh, something chocolate like Nutella uh, sometimes works mm. for us. Cooked bacon is also is also good as as well. Um, and what we like to often do in challenging situations is pre-bait the traps before setting them. So leave a few traps set with a few different types of bait. Don't set them. Let them be get get comfortable and acclimatized. And then mm. once you see what what they're going for, what they like, the area where they're feeding, then set the traps out and actually trigger them to uh, to catch the rodents. Oh, use a little rat psychology there. 
absolutely. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Get them uh, in a false sense of security, and then and then you then you get them. Yeah. Okay, I get it now. Okay, let's go to Donna on the line. Hi, Donna. Um, I tuned in late, so I don't know if you've already talked about silverfish, but um, I have tried. Uh, you know, went on the internet. I've tried everything. All the oh, just everything. And bought the little deco things and the sticky pads, everything. But I'm a very bug phobic, and it's it's not working. So I'm going to resort to getting sprayed. But I'm I've read that it's very toxic to humans. I, I, I'm worried about that. How toxic is the spray that they spray around? Okay, Donna, thank you for your call. I feel your pain because I've got these I got these things too, Mike. Uh, so, Donna, the first thing that you want to do in addition to any any treatment is is to try and lower the humidity. You can do that by simply turning on the kitchen and bathroom fans as often as uh, as often as you can bear, and, and maybe even purchasing a dehumidifier from from Canadian Tire. Run it in the bathrooms in the over overnight times, um, uh, or any time for that matter. In terms of in terms of, of spraying, have a having a professional coming in and doing it is is very very low in terms of of any health concerns or toxicity to, to yourself i tell most people if a person goes out to home depot and buys a can of spray and just puts on a paper mask and does the spray th- themselves it's probably going to be less than half of as as effective and they're going to be exposing themselves to way more of these uh, insecticides than having a professional coming in and doing it. Once the professional spray has dried, it's only coming off in microbial amounts, which is essentially enough to affect only the insects that are crawling over it. Uh, There's lots of really strict laws in, in BC, some of the strictest in the world in terms of human safety and pest control applications. So I wouldn't have too, too much concern or if any concern about that whatsoever. Donna, good luck with it. And thank you for calling Ronnie on the line in New West. Hi, Ronnie, go ahead. Hey, how's it going? Um, just want to say, I don't really have much of a question, but I just really wanted to give uh, Westside Pest Control a huge shout out about uh, maybe eight months ago. I had a huge tree rat problem and I thought my wife was crazy when she heard uh, pitter patter in the attic. You know, coming off, she's a nurse, so I just thought maybe her mind was going crazy. But anyway, turns out she was right. We had a huge rat problem, so we did uh, some research, and we went the humane way. And Westside Pestro came up, and we got you guys in there. And you guys sent a couple guys out, and these guys were so money. Uh, the social skills, customer service skills. I wish I knew his name, but he had some sweet tattoos. And, dude, they, my, I got a senior dog, and he, they took time to, like, hang out with my dog while they worked. And he came back, uh, I think, three weeks back-to-back-to-back weeks just to make sure. Remembered our names, remembered my dog's name. And we haven't had a problem since, man. And they found three little holes, like quarter size up on the roof line, that there's no way I would have seen that. And uh, just the the, the attention to detail, uh, just hanging out, having a conversation, didn't, like, shoo me away. And I don't know, man, you guys just got a really 
solid crew there, and I really okay. appreciate the work you guys do. So, okay. if anybody has questions, you can skip them and just call them, and they'll come take care of it. <laughs> okay, okay, Ronnie, thank thank you for that. Well, you, man, you got a fan awesome. there, Mike. Wow, thanks, Ronnie. It's wow. not, I think I think that was probably Brandon who came out to your house. So, if you're still listening, Ronnie, uh, I think it was I think it was Brandon. Uh, I really appreciate the feedback. That's a, that's amazing. So, it made so, my day. So, when he was saying, like, you know, you find a little teeny tiny hole going into the attic, like. Do you typically, we typically get rats in an attic or I would always think they'd oh, yeah. be on the lower levels. No, they go in the attic, huh? Oh yeah. No, yeah, we okay. scour the house from the, from the top to the, to, to the bottom. R- rats are, rats are tree climbers by, by nature, especially yeah. roof rats. So that, that's why they're called roof rats. Yeah. I had a buddy of mine tell me once, I thought I heard something in my apartment once years ago and I was like, I can't, I don't know how this thing got in. And he said, well, you've got a, you got a fireplace in there, don't you? And I said, yeah. And he goes, these things go vertical, man. They would come down the chimney. I'm like, no way. Could they go down a chimney? Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Think of them as think of them as think of them as rock climbers, and you see some of the crazy stuff that their, their rock climbers will go up, and they just need something to just pinch their little claws on. And oh. uh, like a, a, a stucco house has enough for them to to grab and and run up the outside wow. wall. Wow! No wonder they're so successful as a species. Jenny in New West. Hi, Jenny. Go ahead. Oh, hi, Mike. Uh, I. I have been dealing with the raccoons more than 10 years, and the raccoon, they just come and try to poop uh, beside our house. So we tried, I, I tried everything, whatever there is a market. And the last one we tried was a, a sprinkle of cayenne pepper. Cayenne pepper, so you worked on the beside of a house. They don't come anymore beside the house. Okay. But now they, uh, now they move to the roof. And uh, I opened the window on the bedroom window upstairs and I tried to sprinkle, and but they still do come, and okay. I can't okay. get rid of them. Okay, Mike, raccoons. Yeah, if the raccoons are up up on the roof, that's definitely going to be going to be a challenge. Um, sometimes what we'll do in in those situations, they're, they're usually looking for somewhere to get out of the out of the rain. So there might be a little overhang where there's a soffit on one section of the roof overhanging the other one. We'll sometimes install install bird spike strips in those in those areas to deter them from from wanting to go to those places. Uh, in terms of the cayenne pepper, if you're using it where there's an overhang and it's always dry, that's a great solution or a great potential solution. But you want to make sure you're reapplying it if it rains. Okay, Mike, we could do a whole show with you because we still have a full phone board of people who want to talk to you. And I don't know, maybe one day we should do that. Just do the whole show. On West, with Westside Pest Control, Mike Laundry, But uh, we'll do that another day. Hey, Mike, thank you for coming on today. Thank you, Mike. Okay, that's Mike Laundry there, Westside Pest Control. Thank you for all your calls on that today. All right, here's what we'll do. We'll take a final break. We'll come back, find out what you had to say today on the buzz line. That's next.